This episode of the Female Dating Strategy Podcast has been brought to you by Podcorn.com. We've used it to connect with other female-led podcasts, some of which you may have heard advertised on our show. We primarily use Podcorn to find our advertisers. It's a great matchmaking service between advertisers and podcast creators. And with Podcorn, there isn't a middleman. And this means that we've been able to work alongside other brands and seek out opportunities that best fit with us. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. If you are looking for a platform that will give you full creative control, as well as give you access to a marketplace that can connect you with other like-minded podcasters and brands, then sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Explore sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast by signing up at podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. That's podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. Check the link in the show notes. Hey, queens, are you ready to level up? Then join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy, where you can find weekly bonus content and FDS commentary on all the latest pop culture, relationship and dating news. If you just want to listen to the extra bonus content, we have the lurker mode tier on our Patreon. If you want merchandise, access to the private FDS Patreon discord, which also includes a monthly book club with FDS and feminist themed books, as well as FDS merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, and the opportunity to discuss topics with the FDS podcast queens live, as well as submit stories for our Rose Disco Queen and Nasus discussions on the podcast itself. So if you'd like access to all this and more, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle filling in for Savannah. Yes, Savannah's still out. So she's out for the next couple of weeks. We are wishing her well. Yeah, and you can't shut down the subreddit this time because we had Elle on the podcast. Uh-oh. Because uh, subreddit's already shut down, so... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Stay mad. <laughs> um, so why is Elle here? What are we talking about today, ladies? So uh, I'm not really here for any political-related reasons. So today we're going to talk about a relational dynamic that I've always been fascinated with, and it's female-led relationships. And one way or another, this would always like pop up on my Reddit feed and everything. And this is important to me personally because, you know, at one point I had my red pill era. It was small. It was a small window and it talked about like male dominance and male leading. So obviously like intellectually curious, I looked up a female led relationship. And the definition of it is, as the name suggests, it's a relationship where a woman is in the dominant position, enjoying authority over her partner. And the man is considered a submissive partner. And this doesn't mean like she's pegging him all the time, although that component can exist. Really, it's just about how the woman makes all or most of the decisions regarding the relationship and exerts more authority over her male partner and steers the relationship forward. And the man just kind of is on the receiving end and he's kind of just being pampered and loved by his woman and just worships the ground she walks on. And, you know, as a woman would be submissive in her relationship, the man is the one that I'm just going to cook and clean. You lead the way. I'll follow your lead. So that's what that is, y'all. Just some context as to why we decided to make this episode behind the scenes for female political strategy or other podcasts that we have with Elle, me and Ro. Whenever I talk about my relationship, you know, Elle would always have a lot of questions for me. Like, are you in a female-led relationship, Will? <laughs> 
I've never heard this phrase or this word, but to me, it just seems more intuitive, actually, at least not until recently. I didn't see it as like a political thing. I just thought it made more sense for me to make the majority of the decisions in my relationship. That's just how I like to live my life. Yeah. Unlike the conventional romance where a man is being the dominant figure, it's the woman kind of just calling all the shots. And what led me to ask this question was, you know, Marker, if you want to cut this out, you can totally cut this out. But Lilith would tell me some dynamics where she had, but one where there was a male in her vicinity. And she's like, yeah, just like my boyfriend, I just put him to work. I was just like, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he just smiled like a puppy. He kind of just did it. And I'm just queen. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's how men are. If you give them a task, they love it. They love being useful. Men love to be useful for their queen. And I'm kind of, to me, that's just normal. And so when I meet women that haven't harnessed this power yet, I just want them to know that they too can have this power, right? I don't have magical powers or anything. This is like a skill. This is a lifestyle. Anyone can do it if they want to. Not all women want that kind of dynamic and that's fair enough. Yeah, I was going to chime in because I was like, this sounds like a lot of work for me. And as a person, who has younger siblings, I'm more or less like, I don't want to be the older sibling to my spouse (laughs) or my partner. Cause that's my problem. Like, cause I know what you're saying. Like I have brothers, like I have younger brothers, like I boss them around all the time. And that's just sort of the dynamic that exists when you have, you know, an age order. But at the same time, I don't necessarily want that in a romantic partner. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, right? I mean, there's some women who are like, I want a man to lead me. And a lot of, I find religious women especially are like, I want a man to like lead me spiritually. And I mean, I'm not going to tell her how to live her life or that she's wrong for wanting that type of relationship. I'm just, first of all, concerned for her safety because that sort of thing often lends itself to, you know, an abusive man, for example. Secondly, you know, when I describe my relationship dynamic, a lot of women think of that as just a lot of emotional labor that they don't want to deal with. And that's fair enough. But to me, this sort of relationship dynamic just makes intuitive sense for me. Okay. So this isn't to say that he has no say in the relationship, right? So from the opposite side, I am that energetically lazy person in the relationship. I'd rather figure out what to say in order to get what I want in the relationship rather than leading him. I don't want to tell him what to do. I'm definitely that receiver. I'm not a subject, right? I'm not submissive. I'm just pamper me. I sure I'll clean and I make boss decisions all day at work. I'm like high energy alpha type, you know, get shit done all day at work. When I come home, I want to just relax and I want him to make all the decisions. And I want him to like check in and say, Hey, these are the three options I have. Which one do you want? And I just want to be like B. So how does it play out in your world dynamic or how do you see it playing out? So at work, I also am a manager. So I am in a leadership role at work as well. And I like that role. And I don't even see it necessarily as work because one of the things I like about being in leadership is delegating undesirable tasks, especially to men. And you know what? Like men love being useful. If you just tell them, oh, thank you so much. Or, oh my God. (laughs) In my relationship, I might be, oh, you're such a good boy. Like kind of jokingly, I wouldn't say that at work, right? But, you know, just showing some kind of appreciation. Men just feel so much pride in themselves. You know, self-esteem comes from esteemable acts. And so... When men do, this is like a 12-step program thing, actually, (laughs) or one of the lines in the 12-step program. I've never been in a 12-step program, but I learned this actually from Hannah Borelli on Twitter. And so I was like, queen, this really resonated with me because if you give a man a task and just be like, oh, thank you. Oh, you did a really good job on that or something like that. The male ego, you know, they swell with pride, right? They like to be told that they're a good boy. And so I see it almost as like sort of hacking male psychology or the male ego in a way and kind of redirecting it for my own benefit. Same thing in my relationship. Like if I say I like this, I won't even tell him what to do. I'll just be like, I like this product or I like this restaurant. I like this and this. Him trying to please me 
And me being grateful for that makes him happy, makes both of us happy. So it's a sense of purpose. Yeah. So you're filling his sense of purpose while also getting everything you want because you're just getting what you want. Exactly. So there's a few reasons why a woman would seek a female-led relationship, right? So just like Lilith said, some women like a female-led relationship because they get to control things from finances to kitchen management. Women also get the opportunity to mold a man to whoever she wants him to be. Imagine creating your ideal man, ensuring that he meets your expectations. I mean, it's not about take... Okay, okay. I want to have some caveats here. Yeah, yeah. So that's like your male hacking thing. I want to have a few caveats. First of all, yeah, you got to like have some kind of system to decide, you know, some men are just less biddable than others, let's just say. And by biddable, you mean like direction taking? Yeah. Like, you know how like certain dog breeds are... I hate to compare men to dog breeds. Actually, just kidding. I love it, but... It's the most natural. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're really skirting the line. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know how certain dog breeds, like huskies, for example, they're not very biddable. They want to do their own thing. They're much more difficult to train. Whereas, you know, golden retrievers or like German shepherds or Dobermans, they're very biddable. They love their human. They're really eager to please. They love, you know, border collies are another one. They like doing stuff with you, like that kind of stuff, right? It's not about being obedient. It's about being more pro-social, so to speak. Whereas, you know, huskies and terriers, for example, can be kind of contrarian. They want to go off and do their own thing, right? You know, not just men, actually. Women can be like this too. I'd say social animals, you know, humans are social animals, dogs are social animals, even horses and like goats and cows and stuff, you know, they each have their own personalities, right? Intelligent animals each have their own personalities. And some might be more dominant than others. Some might be less dominant than others. That's just a sort of group dynamic kind of thing. And so, yeah, not all men are suitable for the female-led relationship if they're not, you know, biddable, let's just say. Like their personality is not inclined to being led emotionally. Their personality is not inclined to like being group dynamic oriented, let's just say. Mm, Okay. So, you know, men who are really selfish, for example, might not be a good fit for this. And the other thing is that the whole like molding a man thing, you kind of have to find a guy who's already like 80 to 90% of where you want him to be and, you know, has fundamental values that are you know, obviously not misogynistic and so on. A lot of men are just too misogynistic to be able to be a good fit for this. So you have to choose carefully. I just feel like this all sounds like friend zone material to me. When I think about all of the guys that I didn't date who were otherwise really nice partners, it was actually because of stuff like this where I felt like, you know, I don't feel attracted to you because I feel like I have to manage you too much. Right. Because to me, like that's an extra emotional and mental burden. I like men who I want to say like take charge because take charge to me is almost like overused as a descriptor for like an alpha male type. And I'm not even really talking about an alpha male type or like an abusive man. A lot of abusive men are take charge types Mm -hmm. or an abusive man are like that. Right. There's like a medium between I think what you guys are talking about and then like the alpha male extreme where I like a guy who just sees what needs to be done and does it and is like very helpful, but doesn't need me to guide him to do stuff. Because if I have to do it, this feels very, very much, you know, this is just being an over-responsible daughter syndrome. Yeah. And I don't like it. (laughs) So the other thing to keep in mind, actually, is that my leadership style at work is actually very similar to my leadership style in my relationships and that I'm not like a micromanagey type of person. Mm-hmm. I like to actually confer authority usually to other women on the team. Like I'll have a general task, for example, that needs to be done and I'll assign a competent woman on my team to kind of spearhead that task and she'll do the nuts. And- so you delegate very well. I delegate. 
delegate smaller pieces of authority, so to speak. And so, and I'm pretty hands off in that way. So I'm not a super top down, like micromanaging everything. I'm involved, you know, check in with my team. Oh, how are you guys doing? You know, let me know if you need anything. If they're doing something a certain way and I do it slightly differently, but the result is still good, then I won't swoop in and tell them to do it differently. You know what I mean? And I'm sort of the same way in my relationship. There's certain like general targets that we need to meet, so to speak. And then, you know, it's up to him to figure out how to meet those. But I don't like to do the whole micromanaging of like the laundry needs to be done this way or the cooking needs to be done this way. Or, you know, all I'm saying is we need to have dinner every day and how we go about doing that, you know, whether we, he takes me out at a restaurant or we cook a meal together or whatever, you know, it's, we're kind of, kind of flexible about that. The ability to think through a problem to completion is very important important to me in a partner. Same. Yeah. Like I don't like men who need to be micromanaged and, you know, handheld like a, I don't like employees like this either, actually, where I have to like with employees, at least maybe not with the relationship, but they come into a sales department with no skills at all, you know, train them up from top to bottom, you know, get them to where they want to be. But other than that, I more or less give them free reign to, you know, meet their targets the way that, you know, as long as they're meeting their targets and, you know, generally I let them kind of lead their own self-improvement if that makes sense. Right. Or, you know, manage their time and their sales schedule the way that they want. Same thing with men. It's I don't want to hold his hand on like how to chop an onion and every step of how to cook something or how to clean something. He needs to be able to have some problem solving skills. The same thing that I expect in employees. So there seems to be like, after my (laughs) rabbit hole research, I mean, this started out as like a midnight YouTube exploration thing to like an actual curiosity of mine. So there's like a spectrum of the FLR relationships a little. It looks like you're kind of on the lower end where it's not necessarily, you're not controlling every single thing he does. So like what he wears and everything, which is on the middle to higher end. Yeah. That's weird as fuck to me. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, I have like a standard of like, as long as he's dressing appropriately for the event that we're going. (laughs) going to. I'm not going to tell him specifically what articles of clothing to wear. I'll just be like, "Mm, you look good. Yeah. Or "Mm, no, you don't look at you don't look good. You should get something else kind of thing. You know? So like on that lower end too, like, do you find yourself setting the pace of the relationship? What you want is you're kind of bringing him in line with what you want rather than communicating it to him and letting him figure out. Did you see what I'm saying? Like, are you setting the pace of the relationship? Yeah. The general pace of the relationship. So, you know, when me and my boyfriend first met, he wasn't actually particularly pushy for sex. Sometimes we'd kind of like fool around and maybe make out and stuff. And then I would be, you know, if we have sex, it'll like change things or I don't want to go down this path or say like not tonight or, you know, I don't know. I'll have a reason for whatever reason I don't want to have sex. Right. And then he'll be like, okay. And then back off. And then later on, if I, you know, indicate that I'm in the mood and or initiate things with him and then he's like, obviously excited that I want it. Right. So, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I generally set the pace on like whether sex happens, you know, the speed of the relationship in terms of like commitment and stuff. I was the one pretty much guiding that pace or I don't know. It was like, he was motivated to sort of he's willing to jump through hoops for you it seems like Like, tell me what to do and i'll do it kind of thing exactly he was motivated to commit and i was sort of the more hesitant one and then eventually i you know he kind of proved himself to me and then i was like okay I'm convinced you persuaded me. I'm impressed now. Actually, he did some things that impressed me. So, okay. So walk me through it. You're on your first couple dates, right? Like what gives you an indicator where a guy is a golden retriever as opposed to like a husky? Like what are some small things that you're like, are you testing him? Are you watching him? 
So a good one is just for me to talk about things that I like that I'm passionate about. So say I might, oh, I might talk about dogs and fostering dogs, or I might talk about uh, gardening or, you know, the sports that I like or something like that. And if he's the kind of guy that is biddable, he'll be like, oh, tell me more. Like, how long have you been into this? You know, I have this gardening problem or what advice would you give or something like that? That's a good indicator that he's more amenable to this type or he's maybe a better fit for that type of relationship. Whereas if he is the kind of guy to, you know, dismiss my interests or belittle them or just try to change the subject. My favorite actually is when he treats me like as a sort of like an expert in that field and is like asking for advice and asking my opinion on things. If a guy is trying to mansplain or the sort of guy basically where like I'll be an expert in something and he knows nothing about it, but he's trying to mansplain things about that thing to me. That's a bad sign and immediate swipe left. <laughs> Leave the date goodbye. <laughs> yeah, leave the date. That's an immediate sign that he's not going to be a good fit. Okay. So that to me sounds more like he's just an asshole, right? Whereas like, I think a mansplainer, I think is kind of a no-no for everyone here, right? Yeah. But I think that's an interesting way that you put it where he's curious, but I think I would even put it like even maybe a step further where a guy would not only be curious about how you do it, I think he would want you to like teach him. Whereas I think like even um, a very alpha dominant, like leader oriented man would be curious, but kind of just like leave it at that and leave it at curiosity as opposed to just being like, oh, you're so amazing. Like, please teach me. Like maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Where's Ro in all of this? This is also foreign to me. Maybe this is my problem with the guys I date because I tend to like guys who I think are going to be an upgrade on my life. If a guy shows some kind of initiative or knowledge in a topic, as long as he's not like completely dominating the conversation, like I'm a person that likes to listen and I like a guy that listens to me. Right. And so mm. what I've found is that with men early on, they're really into the fact that I'm, I can talk to them in that level. And then somewhere along the line, either it's an ego trip or whatever, it starts to create like a power struggle or a clash. Right. So maybe some of these things that you guys are talking about, there's maybe some, I don't say like red flags, but like yellow flags are things to understand about differences in personalities and how you approach problems or explaining topics or topics you like. Cause I'm a person, if I like something, I love to talk about it excitedly. Mm -hmm. So I usually give other people space to do that. Right. As long as it's not like they're trying to come across like condescending. And so the guys I date, I don't really mind if they strong opinions on something, if it seems like well-researched or they understand the topic, but I can kind of see what you guys are talking about. where like, yeah, sometimes that means that type of person is not really biddable later on because they're like, well, I'm going to figure it out, right? Yeah. I'm also an I'm going to figure it out person too. <laughs> so then you can end up clashing heads all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, you brought up such an interesting point. I like to talk about the things that I'm passionate about. And I also like listening to people talk about the things that they're passionate about. I definitely am biased in favor of women in this area. Like I will listen to women talk about the things that they love for like hours. Just I'll be the one asking questions and asking advice and, you know, tell me more kind of thing, right? Again, I also like to have men in my life who I consider to be an upgrade. And so if he knows something that I don't, and it's something I actually want to learn, that's the time I'll actually let him mansplain a little bit if he's actually an expert, because some men vastly overplay. They oversell, right? Overestimate. <laughs> Story of my fucking life. <laughs> Yeah, that's the red flag for me when I start to feel like they're overselling whatever bullshit they're saying. And I'm like, aha, uh -huh, right? Yeah. That's when you start to get that little niggling that this person is going to be. With some men, like, yeah, I can kind of tell if they're bullshitting me, if they're overselling. And then there's other men who are a little bit more quieter. They might be an expert on something, 
but they won't go off on a mansplaining tangent unless you almost like have to, you know, ask the right questions and not quite like pulling teeth to get it out of them. But like, you kind of have the one to take the initiative to be like, teach me this thing kind of thing. And then they'll be like, okay, you know, since you asked, I will. But the men who voluntarily just go off on long tirades that you didn't ask for that, or that you're not interested. And the other red flag is if they're going this tired and I'm showing signs that I'm not interested, like if I'm looking away from appearing bored and he just keeps going or doesn't seem to notice or care, that's another red flag. A good sign is if he's talking about something and you're appearing bored and then he tries to change the subject or like ask a question or try, you know, he's going, mm, I'm losing her guys. Like, yeah. you know, trying to fix, I guess, the conversation from going down. Displaying social awareness. Yeah, exactly. I like men who display social awareness. An evolved extrovert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do too. I think there's like this, the category of dominant men and then there's a domineering men where they're neither like biddable or dominant. They just fucking suck, right? Where they're imposing. but it's like they just suck as a person they're not curious and if they are they're nosy and they're trying to find like plot holes or point out flaws and what it is that you're talking about they're just shitty dudes they're just haters (laughs) yeah but in the spectrum of like good dudes where you have that like energy dynamic between like being biddable and being like a good leader in the relationship i think the way it plays out i see it being a little bit differently i've never been around a guy that is like the biddable kind i kind of find myself in the presence of guys that love to lead and teach and if you are you know good at something they'll kind of lead the way in learning from you it's more of like wow that brings value to my life tell me more whereas like i see the biddable guy being more like wow you're literally like goddess incarnate tell me more i'm so lucky to be in your presence which are two very different energies to me it's like more of a i don't know i just see it playing out differently yeah i I can kind of tell the ones the difference here's another important point whenever i talk about this people always try to compare it to like femdom pornified shit this isn't like about you know, pegging the guy or like, I actually kind of don't like the guys who kind of approach it in a way that I see as sort of fetishizing, like, oh my gosh, you're such a queen. Let me worship you kind of thing. So yeah, let's, let's clarify. We're not sexualizing this, right? Like it's really purely just the relational dynamic, right? Exactly. The kind of guys who are like, tell me more queen, let me suck your toes. Like those kind of weird me (laughs) out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, those guys weird me out. No, I like guys that are just sort of like reason number 855, why the reticle got shut down. <laughs> yeah. So those kinds of guys weird me out. I like the guys that are just sort of like normal, you know, group oriented, you know, they usually are like younger siblings, I will say, maybe because they're used to being around other people or negotiating different people's like needs and stuff. Or, you know, the, the kind of guy, usually like the middle child or the younger child who's like, oh, I'm going to be the peacemaker in the family kind of thing whenever people are fighting. That kind of guy is usually the good one, is a diamond in the rough to look out for. <laughs> so he's very good at like group dynamic oriented where he can suss out people and how like everybody's interrelating. Yeah. This is one thing about my boyfriend that made me go from seeing him as like just a friend to a boyfriend actually, because, you know, all this time, I never dated another guy in sales kind of stuff. But he actually received the same customer-focused sales training that I received at the workplace where we both worked. Instead of about trying to scam people, it's more about like, oh, how do I meet the needs of this customer? Like, it trains you to at least think about the needs of the other person and how to meet those kind of things. And that was a realization that I had that made me think like, actually, this guy could be a really good boyfriend material because of that sort of you know, he actually has just very good people skills. I always used to be like, oh, salespeople are manipulative. Salespeople are just trying to scam you. I'd never date another one of these guys here. They're all just trying to be Jordan Belford, Wolf of Wall Street types. But <laughs> but he was different. He was a rare exception. I love that. So he found like the value. 
This sounds all very Myers-Briggsy to me, where it comes down to recognizing and analyzing different types of t- intelligence. Yeah. Because one of the things that I've learned too, and this is just like a maturing thing with me, is that like a lot of times the quiet kids are the smartest ones in the room, right? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so true. Um, That's why I love introverts. But it's, and a lot of it has to do with not only their... I mean, not just like book smarts or the ability to analyze a problem, but understanding the emotional dynamics behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can see that being a type of intelligence that would be needed to be in part of like a quote female led relationship that's not always highly recognized by women because they're not as loud or as obvious as like the guys who are more extroverted. Yeah, exactly. What you use Myers-Briggs, I prefer, you know, we talked about this in the Patreon exclusive episode, The Art of Sales, which is one of my favorite Patreon episodes that we have, by the way, where I talk about this sort of like graph you learn in sales or in some sales jobs, they teach you this sort of graph on like how to read people. So is someone high dominance or low dominance? And is someone more task oriented or people oriented? This is a side note. I used to really, really hate those type of sales categorizations because it made me feel like I had to motivate myself and change myself to not be in those boxes. I'm like, fuck your boxes. I don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's also a personality type, by the way, like the irreverent person, that's a box too. So yeah, I realized (laughs) irreverent. That's the word. I want to say actually this sort of box, first of all, it's not like a strict, you're either one of these four types. Like most people are either like a mix, you know, of one or two, or they might be one in one situation, a different type of person in another. So people are like can change and our dynamic aren't just like one box, right? So that's one thing. And secondly, I like this framework because it actually taught me to have a newfound sort of appreciation for the different personality types. So like someone who's a high dominance and task oriented is like a director personality type. And I definitely have that. I'm more like I'm high dominance, but I'm both task oriented and people oriented. So I could be either director or like a socializer, depending on the situation kind of thing. But I used to hate other director types. They're so like people who were hard directors with any of the socializer or with any of the social aspect. I'd be like, oh, you know, they're just bossy. They're just telling me what to do. They don't care about people. They're selfish. They're assholes. And when you kind of dig into it, you realize like, actually, the director personality, they usually come from, you know, a family background often where their parents were really pushing them to be perfectionists and stuff. And they were taught that failure is something to be afraid of and stuff. And so it taught me kind of a bit about their sort of what makes them tick, right? And kind of their inner motivations. And instead of approaching these people like, oh, you're a dick, which immediately just sets off a fight, approaching them more from like, oh, they're just afraid of appearing like a failure they want to succeed. And then communicating them on that level often gets a much better result and it can avoid conflict, if that makes sense. No, I I think that's a great point because I think sometimes, I actually think women probably fall victim to this more than men, even like where people assume if you're ambitious or driven, that it's this drive to dominate and humiliate other people when it could just be like an internal motivator or a fear of failure or something like that, right? Yeah. But again, that takes emotional intelligence. That's a type of intelligence that is <laughs> not given to everyone like to or only learning with dealing with people about how to recognize that dynamic within somebody and then adjust yourself in a way to communicate with them effectively. Exactly, yeah. So that's something I was actually uh, bitching about the other day. So that attunement is empathy, right? Where you can not only observe that other person's potential like experience, situation, circumstance, like who they are as a person and modify the way you interact with them accordingly. And a lot of men, I feel like, have not been socialized 
to be aware of that. Whereas women are taught like, Hey, be attuned to other people. You have to care about how other people are feeling. So women that have like a leadership inclined personality tend to also have that socializing capability, whereas it's a lot more rare in men because it's just not as emphasized to be considerate or empathetic in that sense. So a lot of men tend to think like empathy is an innate trait where really it's, it's actually like a learned attribute. It is. I actually do genuinely think that empathy is a learned skill for sure, because I've become more empathetic the older I've gotten. Absolutely. And the more I've like worked at it, I feel like children are by nature kind of like self-centered, right? They see the world as relative to them. And like the older you get, if you work at it, you become more empathetic. And men, unfortunately, just have not received, by and large, have not received that same socialization. Some exceptions, again, like my boyfriend is more on the people-oriented side. So he can be more dominant or less dominant depending on the situation, but is always more people-oriented than task-oriented. And I actually kind of like that. We both kind of like vibe like that. We sort of mesh well, you know? I think that's partly because he has a big family. We both had big families, spent a lot of time around other people other kids when we were younger. And that really taught us a lot about, you know, group dynamics and how to how to thrive in kind of large group dynamics like that. Right. With going back to like the whole FLR thing, you really have to be careful as to who you let lead you, whether you want to be the leader or you want to lead someone else is making sure that the guy that you're interacting, presumably this is being like a hetero relationship. You want to make sure that this guy is empathetic in that sense. Me being that person who prefers a guy to lead the relationship. I just get more out of it if he's the one providing everything to include direction and having that compassion the other way around. Like you have to be very empathetic and I think I kind of lack a little bit, like very slightly apathetic towards the human experience only because I've seen some like fucked up shit where it's hard to care about other people. I think it's called empathy exhaustion or compassion burnout. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell me more. Oh, well, basically there's this phenomenon and, you know, doctors, nurses, police officers often because they see so much fucked up shit, they become really desensitized to it and it makes it really hard for them to feel sympathy or compassion or to really feel emotional pain or they don't allow themselves to feel emotional pain, right? And so that includes other people's emotional pain. And so often they can come across as unsympathetic or assholes or whatever, but really it's just that they've, again, they've been exposed to so much fucked up shit. Again, this is part of the why we made the FDS subreddit private because I noticed in myself that I was experiencing empathy burnout or like compassion burnout. And I didn't want to be influenced by Reddit like that. I didn't want to become that kind of person. I always want to maintain my ability to feel compassion for women, especially. That's something that I totally understand. Yeah. And so like, I have to consciously be aware of and like reflect on how connected and attuned I am. So yeah, I have to quote practice empathy where I have to walk myself through a script of like, Hey, this person is having a human experience. that's outside of yours. At least start to pretend to care so that I can slip into actually caring and taking their human experience into my actual decision making. So that's why I would make a very poor leader in a relationship because it's like... It takes a conscious effort to feel empathy. It doesn't come naturally. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it does come naturally, but I've gotten so used to turning it off all day that it's, wow, I've turned it back on. Now I'm fucking tired. Yeah. So, And I'm not a nurse. I don't care for people. So I have to practice not caring all day and then turn it on. So empathy is a really, really key component to being a leader and having a leader. So where you can kind of get away with it more if you're not leading. See, I have the opposite problem because in sales, like you have to have empathy to be a good salesperson, honestly. And some of the worst salespeople or some of the most like scammy, shitty, exploitative kind of salespeople, they often are like low empathy. They just sell based on forcing people or, you know, using emotional manipulation and so on. And the stakes are pretty low. I'm selling like phones or, you know, types of services or whatever, right? So it's not like, I'm not being subjected to like trauma or anything messed up on a day-to-day basis. 
basis. So the stakes are low, but you have to feel empathy all the time. So I kind of just go about just knee jerk, you know, sort of trying to meet people on their level, so to speak, it just in the day to day life. To bring it back to your earlier point about, you know, choosing the right person to lead you or, you know, if you're being the leader, that sort of thing, to be a good leader. To be a good leader, you have to have empathy. I want to say very, very unequivocally, like not everyone who is dominant as a personality trait is a good leader. Absolutely true. In fact, a lot of people who are highly dominant make terrible leaders because they just like the feeling of having power over others. They're forcing other people to do things. They don't feel empathy. They just like being in control. Like I do like being in control. I do like having power, but I also feel empathy. So I do my best whenever possible to be like an ethical leader or, you know, to at least like be like attuned to other people's emotions. The micromanaging thing. I learned very early in my career. I don't like being micromanaged. Nobody likes being micromanaged. Everyone hates micromanager. I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to be that person. I remember being like just an entry level employee being like, damn, if I ever move up this corporate ladder, if I ever am in power, I'm not going to be that kind of person because these people fucking suck. And, you know, as I got older and I learned, I sought out mentors who had the sort of leadership skills that I liked. So I sought out leaders who had the right stuff, so to speak, and then I tried to emulate them. So it's so interesting to hear you guys say this because I have worked in professions where micromanaging is the norm. I hate that. It's so common. Yeah. Because of the meticulous nature of the work requires it. Meaning like if you're putting together a project, it has to go through several layers of review. It's not something like you just hear, I, I give it to you and then that's it. Like it has to go through so much approval, review, red tape, etc. that you end up trying to front load all of the work so that you don't end up having to keep sending it up the chain of command a million times to get something done. So I wonder if you're in a high pressure situation where micromanagement kind of becomes the norm because of the fact that you need a high quality level of output in a short amount of time. I feel like you can still display levels of empathy or try to work with people in a way that helps them bring out their best work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have like necessarily the visceral reaction to micromanaging that you guys do because I understand why it happens. I mean, some people are just crazy. Don't get me wrong. Some people are nuts. I mean, in sales, it's different. First of all, this again, the stakes are low with sales. And I've learned most of my sales skills in like an inbound call center where you're getting a bunch of calls a day. And, you know, if you make a mistake, it's not a big deal. Like what happens is you take the employee out off to a side room, you listen to the call with them and coach them on like, oh, you know, how could we have done this better kind of thing, right? And so each mistake is an opportunity to learn. It's a very different type of leadership where I'm more of like a coach and trying to get people to improve their skills. And then as they improve their sales skills, their numbers improve, right? And then that makes me look good as a sales manager, right? Whereas if you're managing a different type of person, like if you're more of a task oriented sort of company or something, you're making products or something like that, it's a different sort of thing than salesmanship. And knowing the environment you're in is important too, right? And I think that's where micromanaging comes from is where people are treating a relational type environment as a task-oriented environment where the stakes are different. And I guess my issue with micromanagement, I guess we will tie this back to FLR here in a second, but it's somebody hovering over your shoulder that wants to see their work come from your hands. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. That's different. Yeah. And I'm just like, stop. That's the micromanaging I've experienced. And I'm just like, I want to gouge everybody's eyes out right now. Yeah. So like a micromanaging sales manager would be hovering over your shoulder, listening to you on the call while you're making the call 
call and like making notes on like, oh, say this to them, tell them this and like being really high pressure. I've had managers like that when I was a salesperson working in a call center. I hated that. It's so hard to just have sound natural when you're on the phone with the customer, when you have your manager over your shoulder, like telling you what you should say, or, you know, they'll be listening to the call while I'm making it and then sending me messages on like Google Hangouts or something telling me like, tell the customer this, tell the customer that. And it's like, why don't you just hop on the call and tell them that, right? (laughs) Put them on hold, pass them off. Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't achieve anything. It just makes the employee hate you and trust you less. And it pisses off the customer. You know, everything about it is terrible, right? It doesn't get you the correct result. What you do is, you know, sometimes an employee is just going to have a bad call and that's okay. And that's pretty normal, right? And then again, you just listen to the call with them after the fact so they can be like, oh, here are the points where I made a mistake. Here's, you know, in the future, if I'm on a call with someone like this, here's how I'm going to do it differently in the future kind of thing, right? You've already made the mistake. The past is the past. Yeah. How do we get past this? You know, you can't fix the past. You can only focus on the future, right? And so I have that sort of similar, like kind of almost coaching relationship in my interpersonal relationships. I kind of want you to be my boss. I'll teach you how to do the work. Just like be my boss. Oh, thank you. And actually, that's such a good vibe, you know? It's so funny. People tell me that all the time, actually. And I'm like so flattered. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) thank you. It's fine. We'll figure out your citizenship later. Who needs that? So like going back to it, right? And then FLR, Sorry, just to kind of address like the shadow of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I got I went on a sales rant. (laughs) Go ahead. No, but that's that's key because sales is about like human dynamics. And how do you get this person? I mean, life is a sales interaction. I think you talked about that in your art of sales episode. But Mm -hmm. on the dark side of it, right? Most people, especially men think FLR, like you said, pegging BDSM. And we're all of a conviction that BDSM is abuse. Right. Yeah. And once not, it's, I don't think the entirety of it is exactly like horrible abuse, but it's definitely a gateway drug to abuse. It's like, yeah. Okay. So about that, it went from being like a little taboo with like maybe a little fuzzy pink handcuffs to a blindfold to people finding strangers on the internet and showing up to a dungeon and being pissed on by like some weird, creepy dude. And I feel like that's the problem. Yeah. Getting choked, slapped and like, yeah. And why, you know, more or less it became less of a kind of a slightly kinky thing that established couples do to like a whole subculture that the subculture itself is massively toxic. Yes. Not the act itself, but the way it's played out. So you have that side of it where it's like the woman sexually also very, very dominating. And like it turns into like capital D, lower S, dominant submissive type relationship. And that's its own window. And I think that's outside of like a female led relationship to like a female dominant sexual engagement where you don't even have to be in a relationship for that kind of like sexual dynamic. So I would put that in its own bubble, frankly. Yeah, I actually get really offended when I talk about my relationship and people immediately assume I'm like pegging my boyfriend and doing all this like, you know, that I'm whipping him or like tying him up or anything. We don't do any of that shit. Uh, the most like, quote unquote, femdom stuff that we do is like sometimes, yeah, like we'll be making out, fooling around, whatever. And then I'll go like, you know, basically I'll just get him really horny and then not have sex with him. And that's apparently a thing in femdom. I wasn't aware of this until someone told me. Well, it's just teasing though. Like, yeah, like of like getting the guy, you know, horny and then denying him. That's like a femdom thing. And I'm like, okay, well, good to know. But that's first of all, like what I mean by female led, you know, in the bed kind of thing. It's basically like I decide whether sex happens. Yeah. That's how consent works. Right. I mean, every time that I want to have sex, my boyfriend's like excited for that. He's like, yeah, she wants it. (laughs) Right. So there's never been a time where I wanted sex and he didn't. So that's that. But there have been times where he wanted sex and I didn't. And then we didn't have sex. So And that's interesting, like, because I feel like I'm totally female-led in the bedroom. 
Good. That's how it should be. That's actually, sorry, when we're talking about it. Yeah. Oh, so it becomes everything else. I'm a little bit more flexible, but like when it comes to sex, I feel like that's where my FLR tendencies shine. Like, <laughs> And that's such an important point because you might not be female led in every single aspect of your relationship, but it might be like, say, you know, the woman wants to manage all the finances, right? We've had that episode where we talked about, should men be allowed to have money? You know, right. I support uh FinDom. <laughs> Short answer. No. <laughs> yeah. I support Findom as a mass political movement and as an individual. So yeah, I'm, I'm female led when it comes to money, sex, and you know, maybe you're not as female led in other aspects of the relationship and that's totally okay too. And so just defining that like the female led aspect of it does have the two bubbles where I think like having a female led relationship is different than like female led, male led, sexual I think the two, two dynamics are like not necessarily always related because I think our sexual needs are different than our day-to-day emotional relationship needs. Yeah. I think so too, because I remember there was a big push towards the idea of responsive desire in women that like women are responsive sexually. And that was just completely foreign to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I either feel horny or I don't. And quite frankly, I feel like when a guy's pawing at me, trying to turn me on when I'm not into it, it actually has the opposite reaction. Yeah. It makes me more turned off if he's being pushy. Yeah. But I even put like, it doesn't have to be pushy, but like, okay, so if you listen to a lot of the responsive sexual desire people, they're like, well, you have to lead a woman to be sexually into you. But a lot of feminist sex therapists and even people from like, who had pretty respective books, like Come As You Are, I think with uh, Emily Nagowski have talked about like responsive sexuality being like some women can look at a man spontaneously and feel sexual desire. And in other women, it's a function of this guy, like uh, coaxing them in some way, like in some kind of almost like a more seductive energy, I guess, or like a guy if initiating physical touch helps them feel more sexual where all that just like it's not for me i mean i do like the feeling of being seduced i mean i don't necessarily it doesn't always necessarily lead to sex but i do like when the man is trying to seduce me not in like a pawing at me aggressively kind of trying to force me to have sex with him but in like a him trying to entice me kind of thing i actually kind of like that yeah i do too i would say it's to me it's not like the manipulative side but I'm not always in the mood and I've never looked at someone, even my own significant other and be like, it's time to fuck. It's like, my brain's like, it's time to fuck. Okay. There he is. Let's go do it. (laughs) But but like, if he can convince me or like talk me into it, it's never going to be like touching me a certain way that'll do it. I have a very psychological approach to sex. So I have to quote, be sold on it. You know, a stranger could never do it. It's a relational thing for me. So from reading the definition, it says responsive desire is the growing interest in sex that occurs in reaction to sexual stimuli, often responsive desire sparked by touch, physical closeness, or sexual contact. It's when mental interest in sex comes after external stimulus. And like, I feel like mine is the opposite of this, where mine is very much like, I feel it, then I do it. Yeah. Rather than like someone touching me and then feeling sexual desire from that. Yeah. Yeah. I see like what you meant by like the whole pawing thing, turning you off. It's like, yeah, like, like a guy, the way a guy smells, the way he moves, like the way he talks to me, like those are all things that would be seductive to me. But I feel if a guy, if even if I'm into him, if he tries to like close in too much, it makes me feel like a cornered rat and I don't feel sexual stimulus from that. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think a lot of men just have really terrible game. Like, almost feel bad for all these fucking guys following, like, these red pillar, like, pickup artist alpha male scrotes. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> They're teaching them practices that actively turn off most women. And in other women, it would be rape. Like some women, like they might feel uncomfortable, like with really high pressure sales tactics, some women, and I get this in sales too, like some people, it's not always women, some men are like this too, where like, they don't want to just say no, they'll just sort of be either book the service or like, they'll make steps towards buying it, but then like, you know, call later to cancel last minute or whatever, for whatever reason, like they just, you know, they don't want to say like a hard no, they'll sort of be like, well, I don't know, or I have to talk to my wife or, you know, I have to do this and this and, or let me think about it. Or, you know, they won't directly say no. Right. And some women are like that too. Like, I don't know. I feel like women like that are in such danger of these high pressure sales tactic type guys, both in sales and in relationships, actually, because they're really vulnerable to this sort of like coercion. Right. So how much do you think that's natural? How much do you think that's culturally induced? Because for me, it was culturally induced. And I, and I had to figure out like, oh, I'm not like this because I feel like based on like my more Christian upbringing, there was always this assumption that women were supposed to be like submissive sexually or like submissive to men's desires. And like your job was to always like say no, et cetera. And that dynamic just never worked for me. And I always felt like sex, I don't know. I never felt like the kind of sex I really wanted to have until like I was the more aggressive person when I wanted to be and was like, yeah. Yeah. Did you have to break away from like that entire world in the first place and kind of rediscover who you are sexually? Because I definitely had to do that growing up Muslim where yeah, I have felt so much psychological shame and everything, which is why I think that physically coercive side of it really bothers me. And even game to a certain extent kind of bothers me because I can see through a game. Your game has to like fool me. It has to be so natural that you're just like, you're not playing a game. You're kind of just being who you are. And like, it's inspiring to me be, for me to be sexual and it doesn't feel too like calculated. I think that's why the red pill and cell stuff really, really fails and it's counterproductive. I was like, it wasn't even really shame for me so much as like not having any type of language to navigate sexual dynamics between men and women other than like be passively rejecting. Right. And so it takes some time for me to understand like why I feel comfortable in certain situations and not others. Right. And like get the ability to articulate what I'm feeling and why, and then express that to a partner. I feel like there's no tools for that. If you're not like a submissive sexual type person and you come from a religious background. Yeah. Right. There's nothing for that. Like, (laughs) See, I have this like weird thing. I don't know what's why I'm like this. Or I've always been kind of like, so I like to be sold to and I like when men attempt to seduce me, but only because I like to sort of evaluate them. I My brain goes into sort of like coaching mode, like of like, where are the areas of improvement kind of thing where, like you know, if I'm going to buy a phone or something like that, <laughs> I generally do request a female salesperson, first of all, and then I want to see your sales pitch, right? Like, for example, I, I've talked about how I let Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons try to convert me because I want to see their sales pitch, right? And one of the things in sales is like, they say, if you want to be a better salesperson, you have to interact with other salespeople, whether they're good or bad, right? And so sometimes their sales pitch will be like bad and you'll be like, "Mm, this is something I should avoid doing. Sometimes like their sales pitch will be good. And oh, that was really smart of them. Like I'm going to try doing that kind of thing, right? So it's about like kind of learning from other people. So I like when people try to sell to me good or bad, right? And including in like, you know, when men hit on me, I don't like the, you know, aggressive like catcalling or if I've said no repeatedly, and he like just keeps going like I don't like that kind of stuff but if a guy is trying to like flirt with me or you know trying to get to know me or is trying to like doing a good job of trying to seduce me I actually kind of I'm like oh like I see what you're doing and I know you're trying to get in bed with me but I'm evaluating your game and I sort of like judging seeing if he's doing a good or a bad job it usually doesn't lead to sex even if he's good but I'll just that's just kind of how my brain works I don't know if that's probably weird but yeah I find that exhausting and cringe that's my problem because it's and it could just be again like just the volume of it at times it just I don't 
don't, I have like zero patience for it. And I, I'm laughing because that's probably why you have more patience for Jehovah's Witnesses and the like. Whereas like, I feel like I've just heard so much of this shit. I'm like, get away from me. Like, I'm rigid. <laughs> Like, I'm, like, so reactive. You know, like, I don't like that. Like, I feel like it's you have trauma with that kind of event. These religious people are here in China. <laughs> no, but it sounds like you have this sort of, like, evangelizing trauma, right? Like, so... It can be... Yeah, I'm like, ah! <laughs> like, I want to just say something. I Like, I love the devil and, like, run off or something. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> it's just... Yeah, it's so intense. But I, I feel that maybe that's also why I'm not really into the... But again, I love the process and you don't, right? So that's the thing yeah i don't mind a guy trying to seduce me but like when i start feeling that like vultury like circling in thing on me and like uh... yeah which is a very different vibe from like romance that's what i mean about the difference between being like seduced and being pressured like i like the sort of like you know when the man's like trying to get to know you or is like asking you questions or just like being friendly and like that kind of stuff like when i like when men have good social skills i like when men are trying to get sex in a way where they have good social skills the ones who have bad social skills skills yeah that's cringe as fuck to me and i hate it but even if it's bad i still mentally i'm like i see what you're doing and i'm you know i won't necessarily coach i won't actually if they're being bad actually i won't coach them at all like but in my head i'm thinking like if this was an employee i would tell them these are their areas of improvement so to speak right but again uh, i'm not being paid to teach them to have better games so that's not like i get paid to teach people how to be better salespeople. i don't get paid to teach men how to get sex so i don't do that i think that's good if you like the guy and you just need to tweak him a little bit yeah but most guys i'm like Rrr. that's the thing like same thing with actually my current boyfriend if he was like 80 to 90 percent of like where i wanted him to be and he was you know it's same thing with employees actually like you know some employees they want to learn they're eager to learn they like improving and there's other employees who are just sort of like do the bare minimum like clock in clock out like they don't really give a shit kind of thing those ones you know i'll keep them on my team probably won't like you know fire them unless they do something bad right but they're not going to get promoted they're not going to like be taken to the next level at all right whereas the really ambitious people the people who like to learn, the people want to improve. Those are the people I get really excited about actually having them on my team and wanting them, you know, and coaching them up and seeing them like transform in the most like amazing way, right? It's a similar kind of thing with relationships. You find someone who's really like eager and like ambitious. They want to improve. They're like eager to please and so on. And you can, if they're again, 80, 90% of where you need them to be, coach them up to a hundred percent. But then there's other men, like they're just like the bare minimum employees. They just want to clock in, clock out do as little work as possible. That's not the sort of man that you want to be in a relationship with. Exactly. Agreed on that. Amen. So that was our episode on female-led relationships. Let us know what you think. And also check out our website where we've all migrated now, thefemaledatingstrategy.com. Also on Twitter at fem.strat and our Patreon for weekly bonus content. Or if you just want to talk to us in the Discord about this episode, among many other things. And we'll also be debuting The War Room soon. Yeah. So actually, I want to credit Elle uh, for inspiring me with The War Room. I think, was it Elle actually who said War Room first? I don't know, but we kind of said it at the same same time. I don't think so. I think we were talking about stuff and I said something about war. I can't remember, but the war room concept started in like the back end conversations between me, Ellen Rowe for female political strategy. And now we're going to bring this to FDS. So it's where women get together and we talk about our personal problems and strategize as a group how to fix it. Yeah, we're going to be doing that twice a... Twice a month. Yes. So also follow us on Instagram at underscore the female dating strategy. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all you scrotes out there. Biddable or bust. See you next week.